Zon, yes. Oh, look at that photo. I have to show the family slides every time I come back to North. That's up a little prematurely, but I'll, I'll speak to that now. Um, just back in July this month, we were very privileged to share in Jared and Andrea's wedding. Jared's right there in the middle, my young son, uh, who's no longer a boy, but well and truly a man. And uh, that was 40 minutes out of Florence in Italy. So that was a stunning setting. And uh, for those of you that don't know my family well, uh, and again, apologies from my wife, but um, she's having to visit her dad today, the only opportunity on Father's Day. He turns 90 next February. I t yeah, it's pretty good for Bertie. I turned 60 in the same year, and then Jared turns 30, so it's 30, 60, 90. Uh, next year's a big year. Uh, but there on, what's that? Your right is me, of course, my daughter, Keisha, my new daughter-in-law, Andrea, Jared, who looks a little James bond X, doesn't he, you know, in that way? Uh, and then my wife, Michelle, my grandson, Elisha, who turned two yesterday, uh, my other daughter, Gemma, and her husband, Josh. And I think it was about this time last year, they moved back in with us, John, Gemma, Josh, and Elisha, in between homes. They're still with us. <laughs> They had to save up for Italy. They rented out their new home. They move in now in about November. So finally, Michelle and I will be empty nesters uh, now that Jared's also got a house of his own. You're moving in. No, sorry, Kerry. You're not. <laughs> we love you, but you're not. <laughs> well, Father's Day 2023. Today we celebrate Father's Day we congratulate, commemorate, we commend dads of all persuasions and we take the time maybe uh, to spoil our dads a little with gifts or breakfast in bed or at the very least a phone call or something like that. Or if our dads like myself aren't around anymore, then maybe we'll just ponder on the influence and the impact of them on our lives. For some, as has been suggested, this is a happy day filled with maybe colour and laughter and fun. But for others, this day can be tinged with sadness it can be tinged with grief, perhaps even guilt or regret. Well, the Bible, as we know, uses lots of different metaphors to describe to us who God is. One of those metaphors is a judge. One of them is a ruler or a king or a master or a creator or an owner of everything. However, in Matthew chapter 6, we discover the type of relationship God calls us all into. In this passage, when the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And can I commend those meeting 7 a.m. every Monday to Friday? Um, again, prayer is foundational. We don't stop praying just because we've established a church. We go on praying to see God's kingdom come. But when the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, we discover that most importantly to God is that he wants to be known as Father, our Father, not our Almighty God, although He is, it's our Father in heaven. And uh, I don't know if this was the last time. I think the last time I preached at North was Father's Day 2022. I don't know if you remember that, Lee. Uh, but does anybody remember what I preached? No, nobody ever. I could have preached the same message. I could have saved myself a lot of work. Well, I started off in 2022 saying this. 100 years from now, it's not going to matter what kind of car I drove, what kind of house I lived in, how much 
I had in the bank or what my clothes looked like 100 years from now. It did not matter what kind of school I attended, what kind of computer I used, how famous or infamous I was, but the world may be a little bit better because I was important in the life of a child. And I know with my grandson home with us at the moment uh, and that little relationship that we have, uh, there's a formation in his life between not just his dad but his poppy, me, each and every day. Well, the message that I did preach last year was just one of those acronyms. So I'll remind you, last year I used FATHER as an acronym and it was, uh, I think it's up on screen here as well, FAITHFUL. A father is faithful, a father is available, he's timely in his encouragements or his input, he's, he should be a healer. And sadly, not all dads are healers. Sometimes out of our own woundedness, we wound our children as well. Like you suggested, generational trauma can happen there. He's an exhorter and he's reliable. That's what a good father should be. Well, today, I'm not going to preach the same message, even though you might need reminding of that. I want to focus on the nature of our relationship with our Heavenly Father and what it is to hear His voice. Many years ago, I came to faith as a teenager, and it was in my early 20s that I remember standing at the back of church one day, and there was this amazing event going on, and I was just watching what was going on. But my earthly father used to just coin a phrase for me as his son, one of his six sons, and he used to say, Brett boy, hey, Brett boy. And that, that was just the phrase he used, Brett boy, which was fine. It was an endearing, endearing sort, of, sort of comment. But then up in the back of church, I heard my heavenly father whisper one day, Brett, my man. And that changed my approach a lot. Suddenly I didn't feel inferior, I didn't feel insecure. There was a sense of purpose and direction in my life that came just with that whisper. Do you know what I'm saying? Just in terms of how important it is to hear our heavenly father. And I've produced uh, a little uh, booklet, I think Helen's got some here just for you here, just out of something called connectusfund.org. They've listed 40 uplifting Bible scriptures on hearing God's voice. Now, I wanted to produce this as a little uh, fridge magnet, but I ran out of those little magnetized things. So it's now a bookmark. It's a laminated bookmark. You can always get a little sticky thing, put it on your fridge. But just how important it is to hear our Heavenly Father's voice. And I have a sense this, this service could be an opportunity for healing for some today. So just a few of those verses is this little pamphlet or this little booklet is, or bookmarks being handed out. Romans 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. One of the major ways we hear God's voice is through the Bible. John 10, 27 says though, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So there's this intimacy and this expectation that we should hear God's voice. Isaiah 30, 21 says, and your ears shall hear a word, just like I was praying for Tim and for Kerry, a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn from the right or you turn from the left. Deuteronomy 13, 4 says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commands and obey his voice. 
But it's not just there written down for us in the Bible. It's there that we can hear God's voice today. Because some of you, for some of us, our experience of Father was a really good one. Our fathers, our earthly fathers shaped us and formed us and invested in our lives and and it was a good experience. But for others of us, it wasn't such a positive experience. And I believe the experiences we have or haven't had of our earthly father can shape the way we do and interpret the voice of our heavenly father. So hearing the voice of God today, it's the difference between what might sometimes make us feel guilty because The conviction of the Holy Spirit can make us feel a little guilty, but so can the condemnation of the devil. You know the old adage where you've got these two voices, a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other? This is what I'm going to go through a bit today. The conviction of the Holy Spirit always provides a way out and a way back to God. The condemnation of the the devil always gets us under the thumb and dead in our sins and transgressions. So how do we tell the difference? Well, number one, first and foremost, is it loving or is it unloving? This voice that you hear in your head, it'll sound very much like you most of the time. I find myself talking to myself nearly all the time. I'm losing a lot less arguments these days (laughs) as I talk to myself. But is it a loving voice or is it an unloving voice? Loving voices are gentle, are loving, are tender, a firm, a kind, it's still a firm voice. It's assertive in that way, but the tone is entirely different where an unloving one is accusing. There's this nagging about that voice. There's this mocking or a sneering or a demeaning aspect to that voice. And and what, what, what we're told to do in the scriptures is distinguish between the spirits. Do you know how to do that? To actually cut between the spirits. That's not God. That's not the Father. Oh, you've stuffed up again. Oh, well, maybe next time. That's not the Father in heaven. That's the devil. That's literally a mocking, sneering voice. Sort of even some, a little bit of hope weaved within a condemnation still. Romans 8.15, I love this passage. It talks about a father and it uses in the Greek there this word called Abba. Abba an intimacy between us as father and child. And and this is something that I've read perhaps in the past, but uh, it was written down years ago. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he is the way. When I'm afraid, he is my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trial, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time and in every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his And he is mine. Why? Because he is love. He is love. And the first thing we need to distinguish is those voices in our heads. Is is it loving or is it unloving? Secondly, is it specific or is it vague? I find this one really helpful. Is it just this general vague, oh, you're an idiot. 
get some help or whatever? Or is it specific? Focuses on specific sins and specific action needing. Who you should talk to about it. Who you should be accountable to. Who you should confess to. I think private sin needs private confession. Public sin needs public confession. So you don't tell your problems to everyone, but trust somebody. And God is very specific. Talk to that person or do this or do that. He's doing that to us all the time. God is speaking to us all the time. And it's specific, whereas the devil's pretty vague. It's a generalization. It's exaggerating our sin. Oh, nobody else sins like you. Boy, oh boy, do you need help? No, that's, that's the devil. Or it's, it's a generalization. Oh, you're just never really going to make it anywhere. You're never going to achieve much. It overwhelms us with a sense of guilt and failure. Third, is it encouraging or is it discouraging? Does it build you up? Does that voice of the Father encourage you to rise again? My little grandson, Elisha, one of the phrases his parents is teach, uh, is, uh, are teaching him when he, he, he stumbles or he falls, because, yeah, two-year-olds, they're falling over all the time. And even this, it was his birthday yesterday. All these presents are wonderful. But he loves diggers at the moment, you know, any machinery. So he's got about 100 diggers now after his birthday yesterday. And, of course, one of these diggers this morning, it pinched him. And it pinched him really bad. So he started crying again. But one of the phrases that his parents are teaching him when something goes wrong is, no worries, no worries. So here he is. He gets pinched. He starts crying. And then he's, he's teaching himself. He's going, no worries, no, no worries. It took him about six no worries this morning just to get right again, shake it off. And, okay, next toy. <laughs> Encouraging you. And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves. But does God build us up? Absolutely. He's the one that rises, gets us to rise again. Where the devil, he depresses us, he drags us down, he tries to keep us there. So that father's voice that's in your head, are you able to distinguish between loving and unloving, specific and vague, encouraging or discouraging? Fourthly, is it about the present or is it about the past? Does it concentrate? You see, we need to concentrate on present grace, not past failure. Whereas the devil concentrates on past failures, not present grace. There's a subtlety in this, isn't there? We need to concentrate on present grace. It's there available for us today. It doesn't matter how many times we've sinned. It doesn't matter how many times we've failed. Grace is present today, in this moment. His mercies, the scriptures teach us, are new what? Every morning. It's not like he's rehashing an old sermon. (laughs) His mercies are new. They're fresh every single morning. So it doesn't matter what last week brought, what last month brought. Today is a new day. Fifthly, is this voice of the Father reconciling or is there another voice rejecting? Is it bringing you back into relationship with him? Because a reconciling voice invites us to re-establish fellowship and harmony and is inviting intimacy. Come, come back. Just like that, that father that looked out for the prodigal son. And I very nearly preached that message 
again today. I decided this is where I felt the Lord leading us. But my very first message 16 years ago at Crossway North was on the prodigal son. And that's an amazing passage. And here's the father watching out to reconcile that relationship with his son. And for those that don't know a lot of, I guess, the background and cultural backgrounds there, there's the very real potential that the whole community was against this prodigal in this story. And what they could have performed was what was called a broken jar ceremony. So when he disowned his father, when he dishonoured his father and said, give me what is mine now, which was probably even an impossibility because most of it would have been in farmyards and property and stuff. But when he, when he said, give me my third of the property now, it was dishonouring the father. The community probably, as this son went off into the distance, broke a jar to symbolise saying, if you ever come back here, we're going to break you in pieces like this as well. And so it wasn't a pining father going, oh, I'm looking out, looking out for my long lost son. No, he was looking out and he ran, which Middle Eastern men didn't do, you know, older men didn't do. He ran out to his son and said, quick, quick, put the sandals on, put the ring on. Why? Because he was saying to the community, don't touch him. He's mine. Get your hands off him. You haven't got a chance to belt him up or to to send him back out of town. Do not touch him. He's mine and he's reconciled to me and he's re-established it. Isn't that a great imagery in that way? But God the Father's always reconciling. He's always looking to bring us back into relationship with him where the devil alienates us. He holds us at arm's length. He emphasises our unworthiness. Now, I love my dad. He's, he's sadly passed 22 years ago now. But my relationship with my dad wasn't all that straightforward either. He left our home when I was 13, which is very formative for a 13-year-old son. Uh, and then we had the fortnightly visits, and then he came back when I was 16. By that time, we didn't want dad to come back. Uh, then he left again when we were 21, and I was just about to get married. Then mum and dad reconciled, and then they split up again when I was about 26 or 27. My mum and dad couldn't live together. They couldn't live apart. They just, they worked it all out. <laughs> I think I've told this story before. Mum and Dad nursed each other through cancer in the latter years of their lives, in their 70s. They lived around the corner from each other um, in two different houses. And Dad, his cancer came back. His, uh, it went on the back of his spine, so he, he almost became paralysed at one stage. But Mum took him in for two weeks, and then the cancer on his spine meant he couldn't walk, so he needed some respite care. Mum walked me down the driveway of our home after that two weeks and said, it's probably just as well your father went into respite care. We'd, we'd had just about enough of each other <laughs> after two weeks. So that was the nature of my relationship with my dad in some ways because he often held his sons at arm's length. He loved us, but he didn't cope well with six boys or five boys. It was a crazy household most of the time. And he was of that generation where they, he didn't share his emotions. He, he didn't engage in that intimacy. He, we knew he loved us, but he just held it at arm's length. And he was always in his little brown recliner in the back corner of the rumpus room with a paper up. You, you almost had to you know, move the paper down to say, hi, Dad, <laughs> just to engage. You, I always felt like I had to take the initiative with my dad rather than God taking the initiative with us. Do you feel like that some way, sometimes with your relationship with your dad, uh, your, your heavenly father? I have to take the initiative with him. 
He's always taking the initiative with you. And we need to remind ourselves, my heavenly father is not like my earthly father. My earthly father is trying potentially to give me an image of God or an understanding of God, my heavenly father. But we need to correct our own understanding. Some of me always went, I've got to take the initiative with God. That's not true. God takes the initiative with us. Sixthly, is it just positive or negative, this voice in your head? Positive focuses on God's faithfulness, his love and his grace. Negative focuses on the wrath of God, a fear of judgment or of hell. I remember an older guy in a church that I was part of years ago. Uh, great guy, faithful guy. Most of his life he'd grown up in a Christian household, but he still always feared death. He always feared condemnation. He was not reassured in his own faith experience. And he lived constantly trying to do good for God. Am I good enough, Brett? Was his question to me often enough. And I'd often say, no, none of us is good enough. None of us reach that mark. It's only Jesus that has. And I tried to point him back to Jesus being that security for him. But this negativity, this fear of judgment plagued him. There's a poem that's called A Successful Dad. How do we phrase that? Well, this one read, wrote, wrote, I may never be as clever as my neighbour down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had, but I've got to be successful as a little fella's dad. There are certain dreams I cherish that I'd like to see come true, things there are things I would accomplish uh, my working day is through, but the task my heart is set on is to guide a little lad and to make myself successful as that little fellow's dad. I may never come to glory. I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told, but if he who follows after shall be manly, I'll be glad, for I know I've been successful as that little fella's lad. Just something positive rather than negative. Seventhly, is it restoring or is it isolationist? This voice that you hear in your head. What is your earthly father shaped in you? Is it something of a restorative nature or an isolationist one? God the Father restores us to our position of victory and acceptance of our place in the body of Christ like that prodigal son. Satan reinforces our sense of failure and shame and isolates us from other believers. Tim and Kerry, I know you're not exactly sure where God is leading you at the moment, but guaranteed he will lead you to another fellowship if it's not back to this one. Guaranteed. We can't do Christianity in isolation. We can't do it in our homes on, in lockdown. It didn't work. Uh, we had... Zoom and all sorts of wonderful technologies these days, but we're called to be in relationship with others as well. So I believe, though, that there is one church in Melbourne, one church in the world, but many fellowships. So very relaxed about saying, okay, what's going to work for you? Where are you going to be built up and strengthened? And so we as pastors should hold lightly to people, but at the same time, people need the church. And there's a huge population now of what's called the de-churched, 
It's a huge population. People that are going, no, I still believe in God, but eh, just not so sure about the church. Well, I've never been so sure about the church. I didn't grow up in the church either. But the church is what you get when you get people together. So Jesus loves his church and so therefore so should I. But is it restoring or is it isolationist? This weekend, as dads across the country enjoy an assortment of key rings and underwear, socks and socket sets, we should spare a sure thought for those dads in Father's Day where this won't be so enjoyable. They mightn't be with us even today. Statistics from the ABS suggest there may be as many as 750,000 fathers who don't have their dependent aged children living with them right now across Australia. While for some of them they might see their children, for others this will be a bittersweet occasion because they can't even be in that same household. So that's isolationist, isn't it? Rather than reconciling. Eight, we're coming near the end. Is it factual or is it emotional? Our Heavenly Father will deal with facts, not always with emotions. That doesn't mean he dismisses emotions, but we don't need to trust our emotions necessarily. God the Father deals with facts, especially the facts of Scripture. Um, Satan deals with feelings of despair or guilt or remorse or cast doubt on the fact. Look at what he did right at the beginning with Adam and Eve. Did God really say, you know, how do you feel about that <laughs> sort of thing? Factual or emotional. Nine, corrective or destructive. John 15 says our Heavenly Father will correct us. He'll prune back even that which is fruitful. And sometimes that pruning back is pretty severe. But even that which is fruitful, he's got purposes that it might be more fruitful in days ahead. And Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, the Apostle Paul said, he strenuously contends with all the energy in Christ that so powerfully works in me. Just a little side note from the Apostle Paul. Michelle and I were very privileged to get the opportunity to spend our last four days in Europe in Malta, which is where the Apostle Paul got shipwrecked. Fascinating place. It's quite a desolate place now. It's rocky and it's hot. I think it only gets about 20 days of rain throughout the whole year. Um, but it was fascinating to see where he was supposedly shipwrecked and the legacy that he left was amazing. But again, is that voice in your head corrective or destructive? Satan wants to break our spirits and not just prune us, but to cut us down. And, and 10, is it a reassuring or an accusing voice? Reassuring reminds us of God's love and grace and our security in the righteousness of Christ. Accusing accuses us of failure or disappointment or uselessness, hopelessness, and just reinforces our guilt. Jim Valvano, an American college basketball player uh, and a coach and a broadcaster, has said, my father gave me the greatest gift anyone could ever give another person. He believed in me. And our heavenly father believes in us, even if our earthly father abandons us. Finally, the difference between one voice and another in our heads is one will be hopeful and one will be hopeless. That's why I love that song that was sing sung today. Hello, hope. <laughs> Hello, peace. Hello, love. Goodbye to all those other things. That's what I'm encouraging you to do afresh today. 
I don't know how you came into this service for Father's Day, but our Heavenly Father says, hello, come on, come spend some time with me. Even if our earthly fathers weren't in the habit of doing that. Hope fills us with renewed confidence for the future, whereas hopelessness fills us with a sense of increasing hopelessness and futility. In Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, and resources that can never be exhausted. Let's pray. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to think about the contrasting nature of those father's voices. Perhaps you've had an earthly father that has shaped you more on the negative side than the positive side. Might have been a harsh father. Might have been a father that kept you at arm's length or that you always had to take the initiative with. It might have been a father that was more abusive Today's the day to receive some healing, to open up yourself afresh to the Heavenly Father. And I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. Just with eyes eyes closed and heads bowed. Perhaps you've been guarding your heart for many years, protecting it from further pain or disappointment. And today, our Heavenly Father would say, will you let me be a new father to you? To show you something of my heart for you? And if that's you today, and you, you want to respond to that invitation, would you care just to raise your hand, just so I can pray more specifically for you? Opening your heart afresh. Thank you. Anybody else? Yep. Some hands are going up right now. Others? I think he wants to say something more intimate and more deeply today into your heart. To wash away maybe some of the residue of our earthly fathers. Anybody else? Father, you know those that have responded to you today. And I pray just a wonderful blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, the richness of your love, the richness of your love would just flood their hearts right now. Come, an overwhelming, rich love poured into their hearts afresh today, new, new today, like your mercies are new every morning. Lord, let your love cover over a multitude of sin. Father, whatever sins have been done by our earthly fathers, Lord, let them be just washed away with a tsunami of your love afresh. Impact their hearts so that from this moment on, they will be different people because your love 
permeates their hearts in a new way. It's been invited into parts of their hearts that have been closed in the past. And Lord, there'll be a fresh trust, a fresh willingness to grow in their relationship with you as their earthly father. So come Holy Spirit and just do that work afresh. And Father, for each of us, we pray, Lord, particularly for us that are parents or grandparents, that Lord, we would model better something of your heavenly love for our children and our children's children or our children's children's children. Father, let us be those type of people that speak positively and warmly and lovely messages to those in our care. And we trust you and thank you today in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Just before we go into a final song, just a reminder, we've got a, a couple of uh, cakes out the back, one beautifully decorated, and uh, it's a chance for uh, people to gather around, uh, Tim, Kerry, whole family, and uh, give them a hug, say goodbye, all of that. So don't, don't forget to hang around after the service. Thanks, Alicia. I think it would be more than appropriate to sing Fear Is Not My Future again. Promise I'll try not to cry, guys. Yeah, feel free to cry if you need to. I'll just try not to.